and welcome to the DMs Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. So we've done artificers, we've done barbarians, we've done paladins. What next? I didn't know, so I asked my friend David to come back to talk to me about classes. Hello, David. How are you, my friend? Hi, Fiona. I'm doing good, thanks. It seems that you call me whenever you want to talk about a class and need oh to fill time. I love oh it. David! <laughs> Want to talk about something? Is it a D&D class? Great. Great. Exactly that. So, yeah. So, um, what have you been up to since I, we last spoke to you? Because obviously it's been a, been a little while since you've been on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a big, crazy lockdown for me, just as much as it has been for the rest of the world. I actually just started a new sort of D&D campaign, which is going to be going up on YouTube and whatnot pretty soon. And Ooh. I am very excited about that. I'll give you a bit more information about that at the end. Uh, but yeah, I'm all keen for just talking about what we're going to discuss today, because it's something which is very close to my heart. David, what is our topic of choice for today? So like we've discussed Paladins, which I've said are hands down my favorite class. We're going to discuss what is now my second favorite class, but it's a very close second warlocks mm, so for those uninitiated i appreciate most people who are listening to this will have an idea of what uh the classes are there but in case you haven't you know, listened to any of these podcasts or even touched dungeon dragons what are warlocks david i find the best way to kind of discuss a warlock and what a warlock is at its core is to talk about other classes <laughs> which makes no sense excellent definition by exclusion that's yes. perfectly that's perfectly valid in my books so go on then so uh you've got wizards that are people who've studied for years and years and years to learn spells and you know then they're heading off into the world it's all like big brain big money big magic explosion you know they're the people that work really 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 hard the kind of self-made men of the magic world then you've got sorcerers who I've always regarded as the trust fund rich kids in that, you know, they're just kind of, <laughs> they're just kind yes. of born with it. It's like, oh, you were born with dragon ancestry or there's a bit of a God inside you. Well done on that. It was the genetic arcane lottery and you won it. Warlocks, when I imagine a warlock, and I know someone is going to be very, very angry at this, but when I just picture you basic warlock, I almost just imagine like, John Normal Man, like just a bog standard, bog standard commoner <laughs> guy who has absolutely no magical ability whatsoever and has essentially just prayed to Asmodeus or whoever and been like, hey, I'd really like some magic, please. And some sort of force, be it Cthulhu, be it Zariel, be it whatever, has gone, okay, I'll give you magic. Under these conditions. Mm. I love the fact you said Asmodeus. <laughs> I think you meant Asmodeus. But That's I love the fact, because <laughs> obviously there's Asmodee, which is the um, the board game company. Uh, so I now have that in my head as like, you are, <laughs> your, your patron is a board game company. See, yeah. this, this is the downside, Fiona, of only reading these things, in it's that true. I'm pretty sure I, walk, I would walk into any sort of D&D &D convention and say half the words and people would string me up. No, but this is the thing, right? And... 
we'll come to warlocks in a second, right? I do right. have the same thing about pronunciations. Like, is this our first diversion? This from is our the first topic? diversion. Um, right. I completely agree with you. Like, I have seen on D and D Beyond, which we obviously we, we both use and stuff. Most of the monsters in it, in the monster manual guide or any of the stuff books, they do have um, somebody speaking them. Usually, it's Matt Mercer or Marisha Ray that says the words out loud. But when mm. it's gods or when it's devils, anything that's named, there is not an option to speak it out loud so you have to go to google and there'll be like some random youtube video from a north american man who says it's like this and i'm like oh wow, it's a north american accent not entirely yeah. sure so yeah. yeah do so do not worry pronunciations especially when it's like Norse stuff i'm terrible at, as you know and just anything i'm just like oh, i'll give it a go anyway 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 i love that distinction you make as well like the wizards are the ones that really work hard and will will get a pass eventually because they work yeah and sorcerers were just naturally fucking gifted in one way or another i like to imagine that there's um there's like a gang rivalry between wizards and sorcerers not like an actual gang rivalry but like a west side story gang rivalry (laughs) (laughs) in that they hate each other Oh yeah, absolutely. Or well, not hate, maybe envious or jealous of. Like with the new um, Strixhaven stuff coming out. So again, I don't know if you know, David. There's this new uh, Strixhaven, which is like a setting, which is basically Hogwarts or a magical university and stuff. And it's basically a way to give yourself subclasses if you're a wizard, sorcerer, bard, druid, and warlock, essentially. That's so, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Again, we have another episode that's come out about that, so you can listen to that when that's proper. I will absolutely follow I, that one. But it's exactly the same. Whereas warlock. As you said, their powers are not uh, they're not natural, they are gifted to them. And I got down from the from the DM's guide that it talks about that they are seekers of knowledge. And but this knowledge is sort of hidden in the fabric of, of the multiverse. So you when you are given your sort of magic to go, you are trying to seek out the truth in quotation marks, and you are getting these packs, these sort of relationships you make with mysterious beings of supernatural power, wherever it is like deities or like you say great old ones, or it is something maybe sometimes you you do know of this creature or sometimes it is something so big and vast that you are insignificant and whether or not you have that relationship to it. So it mm. talks about when you make a pact and stuff. And I think it's very important. It says this in the, the DM's guide and also says it in Xanathar's as well, I believe, and Sword Coast, that the idea is that when you're you're creating a warlock character, the big sort of pushing point on the cornerstone is the patron itself, which I know will go into all the different ones. But like, yeah. what is this patron's attitude to you? Again, what is this relationship like? Is it just one way? Is it both ways? Is it a close thing? Do they really like you? Are they sort of apathetic to your needs? Like, I think when you're developing this sort of character, if you want to go for a warlock, we'll see there's so many different and interesting ways you can portray it. You have to think about that power dynamic. Is it something that your patron relies on you quite heavily or do you rely on the patron and back and forth and make it like a really interesting sort of... uh, backstory for you but also for your dm as well because i can imagine as a dm you have to put a lot of thought into creating this patron who will visit regularly and i it's i think it's very different to compare to say a paladin god or um anything for druids per se it could be more manipulative which is one thing which i find is absolutely fascinating about just the core concept of the class and one reason i love it so much mm-hmm. like yeah uh, when we were discussing paladins i said that they're one of the reasons they're my favorite class is that they have this great role-playing extra sort of like bit on them if you will great english david and it's almost like you know you have a way that you want to act like you can sit there and go okay it is without a doubt it is the smarter decision to kill this person but my tenets 
as, say, an oath of devotion paladin, say that I can't kill them because they are unarmed and despite being pure evil, they are asking for mercy. I have to give mercy. That's great because, you know, that leads to a fantastic bit of character development for the player in that, you know, then the paladin can begin to question what they're doing. But the warlock... I love the Warlock for its role-playing potential because of that relationship with the patron. You can, say, play a good Warlock who has an evil patron, and this is something that I want to loop back around to later. Mm. And, you know, you can be wanting to do things for a good reason, but the patron can just be like, well, hey, I need these people killed, and Mm -hmm. I'm giving you your powers, so you're going to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And because I'm your patron, I'll know. It is like, um, like I was saying, that sort of that power dynamic. It mm. refers to it as sort of a, a master servant type dynamic. Yeah. And I, I loved again in the the DM's guide. It talks about like, yeah. So, what led you to make that pact? And usually, it is as some form of knowledge. How do you make contact with your patron? That's another thing to consider. Is it through uh, you praying to them? Is it through dreams? Uh, one thing I did, I think very early on, I can't remember for you in that, maybe that one shot, David, I probably not, I can't remember, but I did a warlock who would communicate through a mirror and it would be the own reflection speaking back as uh, the patron. That's very cool. Right. I feel like I'm the coolest person in the world because I, I thought of that, but it's obviously it happens all the time. That's um, very cool. Who found who? I think this is an interesting one. There's, you always yeah. It's so funny. I heard recently, um, people talk about it when, when you rescue animals or dogs or something like that. And it's like, who really rescued who? Yeah. And I just like that as the idea of the patron, sort of like that, that relationship is like, did your patron find you or did you find the patron? Did you seek that person out? And again, deciding where that comes from can really change that power dynamic and that relationship to discovering your warlock patron. The other questions it's had was, do you chafe under the obligations of your pact or do you serve joyfully in anticipation of the rewards promised to you? Again, mm. that sort of attitude you can have is like, like you said, like the frustrated, like I do these things for my patron, but I don't agree with them. Or do you go, oh yes, of course I will kill them because I will get rewarded in some way. Yeah. And I, I guess alignment is not the right word here, but I guess it helps with the motivation. Are you one that yeah. is pursuing for selfish means or are you somebody who is sort of trying to find out to help a common good perhaps and so the final one which i do want to talk about in terms of creating a warlock another question which i thought was really interesting is like do you know other servants of your warlock Ooh. right because more often than not we do assume that it is a solo thing like when you talk to your warlock it is or oh, you talk to your patron sorry um it is a one-off thing like a one communication and the same with uh with paladins i guess as well mm. like we've discussed about it where it's like a one-on-one session what if you found another another person who serves the same warlock and you had like a group meeting or something like that so i know in critical role for example ford played by travis Willingham, he gets to a point where he meets another person who is who's serving the warlock and then they have a big sort of tiff or a fight about it i can't remember the exact details it's been such a long time but again that idea that you when you meet somebody else is that an awkward interaction is that something that you anticipate and enjoy about it so i just thought that was such a great question because it's something i'd never considered because again for me warlocks seem to be a very uh, not a lonely character figure but a sort of a solo yeah. this is my path i must travel it alone but if there's yeah. others well, that changes the dynamic slightly, I think. Well, yeah, because I, that kind of thing almost, and I realise I made a Star Wars reference the last time we were here as well, so maybe <laughs> I should stop it. But, you know, it kind of, especially if it's like an, an evil patron and the warlocks are evil as well, kind of almost reminds me of the Sith, like, you know, the children or the apprentices scheming against each other. So they look 
better in the patron's eyes. And, you know, if the patron is kind of evil as well, they kind of encourage that fighting as, you know, they're looking for their champion, the person that's most deserving of their gifts Mm -hmm. and will want their servants to battle for that. I absolutely adore it, as you know, when the mechanics of a class or just kind of how it's written come into how it's played. Like, look, I'm not going to badmouth like fighters or anything like that, but it's, it's very sort of straight laced when you're a fighter. You can use every single weapon anyone has ever conceived of. Well done, you. And all the armor, and, you know, it's great. It's like, play a fighter, cool. Go off. What are you going to do? Go do it. Go hit it five times because, you know, you can do that in six seconds because time is nothing to you. You're that well-trained. But it doesn't extend beyond that. You're a fighter, and that's who you are. That's it. Mm -hmm. There's no... God who has made you swear an oath that you need to stick to. And there's no patron that has its demands or its requests. It's just you go when you fight as opposed to, you know, you could be going into this very important mission for one member of the party and your character is the warlock Mm. and your patron just appears and goes, ah, so you're trying to do this. I actually need you to sabotage that. Yeah. Because then it's, what do you do? Where's your loyalty? Is it to your patron or is it to your allies? Like brilliant questions that really do round out a character more than just, and forgive me for this one, I rage. (laughs) Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong with rage. (laughs) I love barbarians and we've talked at length about how much I love the Path of the Zealot. So yes. So we'll have a quick look into the um, the main class features of just the warlock before going into it. So interestingly yeah. enough, I think the, as, as we sort of alluded to, the majority of this episode is going to be talking about the patrons because there is like, if I do a quick count, there is like, there's nine of them in total of the different patrons you could have, but there's only four, I don't know if I call them subclasses or if I just call mm. them sort of like features essentially, but we'll come into that in a second. But the main sort of gist as you get of, if you were doing a quick build of a Warlock, for example, obviously, and you were using this from Player's Handbook, obviously, I know, and I, and I say this pretty much every episode, Tasha's has changed everything. Yeah, That's great. But if you were going to build it from the Player's Handbook, you've got the following. So you put your highest ability score into uh, Charisma, because that is what you're going to be using for your spell slots yep. and spell attacks, followed by Constitution, which I thought is hilarious because... <laughs> You need those hit points, I think, for this, for, yeah. what, for what we're about to describe. It then says for background, uh, charlatan. And I think this is quite interesting because obviously when we just talked about it, warlocks, we tend to consider them to be evil because they've made a pact with something that's beyond our comprehension as people. And as because they are so unknown compared to, say, I don't know, gods who have been written stories about or something like that, instantly you go, ooh, they could be selfish, they could be evil. So I think that's quite interesting with the mm. charlatan. You have a background for that. So yeah, it's already suggesting quite a shady one to begin with. Exactly, which I think is quite interesting in that respect. Yeah. But again, you could have warlocks that are, are trying to fight for the balance, which we've talked about before, this idea mm. that the big bad fight between devils, demons, and angels, if it tips too much in one way, one group will win, and that is the end of it. It's, it's bad for everyone else. So maybe you are a warlock that has to keep the balance, per se, or anything like that. So whilst it does, the quick build says charlatan, you don't have to see it like that. You could It could be a pretense, per se. And it does, there is something with the charlatan background where you have like an actor or a disguise or something off the top of my head. And then finally, you get 
but your sort of spells, the beginning sort of spells, if you're taking the quick build. Eldritch Blast, which I think is the most famous uh, spell I mean, after yeah. Magic Missile. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty convinced that Eldritch Blast, especially with the invocations that you can add later on, makes it the single greatest cantrip in the game. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you know, David, is that no other spell gets that per se. Like, like I said, so we'll come on to Eldritch mm. Invocations, which yeah. primarily boost up this main skill, this main spell that Warlocks can have access to. Oh, yeah. And I don't know of anything other than than that. Obviously, I, I know Paladins obviously had their smite and maybe that's increased by a few. I don't know if they'd have Invocations, actually, I can't remember. But I think it's very interesting that most of this class yeah if you don't take eldritch blast then you you will miss out a lot but you might be building yeah. something different as well and then finally just to round off you've got also chill touch as your sort of second cantrip and then you've got for your first level spells charm person which is always a good good one i think at a low level and witch bolt which is incredible i love witch i bolt. i love witch bolt simply because and i'm gonna loop back around to star wars i can't not feel like emperor palpatine when i cast it <laughs> like it's just you cast it it hits and then all you need to do is go oh i'm still i'm still battering them with lightning it is yeah it's that one that can, it can literally give over and over again and if i remember yeah. off the top of my head it's like a 1d 12 damage it's, yeah 1d 12 lightning yeah. damage <sighs> i mean i love a good d12 as you know so <laughs> yeah all you've got to do is hit once and then it's just like i'm gonna keep keep hitting it so uh, looking at other class features, uh, we've got, so it's a 1d8 for sort of hit points. Which then, is good for a caster. I think that is very good for a caster, especially, yeah. I think, because a lot of people will describe, and I'm sure we've described it as well, uh, the Warlock as a glass cannon can hit really hard, but if something mm. hits hard back, you're pretty much done for, essentially. Mm. So it's that sort of thing where maybe you're considering Warlock to be a little bit further back, perhaps uh, sort of a ranged spell caster, essentially. Mm. Um, but yeah, 1d8 is not too bad. Uh, proficiencies in light armor, simple weapons, no proficiency in tools, which make I for me makes sense because you're you're a fucking academic. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You're not an academic. You're just some guy. You're just some guy who's got who's managed to get a PhD in darkness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, saving throws and wisdom and charisma, and then you can choose two skills from Arcana, Deception, History, Intimidation, Investigation, Nature, and Religion. So a nice mm. uh, widespread. But again, they they all of those. Um, skills aren't necessarily like they'll help you overcome like physical things. It is more like like learning yeah. about history, uh, in finding out information, and yeah. uh, taking stuff from the environment. So it is about learning things rather than overcoming obstacles. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and with those uh, selection of skills, it's almost as if the game kind of uh, wants you to throw them your next highest in intelligence or something mm. like that. Like it's encouraging that kind of more. Uh, you know, Definitely. your warlock should think about things. I think there is that sort of tendency that because we've, again, we've talked about it before where like warlocks, obviously they're getting the, the highest in charisma and then second highest in constitution. And then you're like, well, I'm going to be a bit further back. And if all my spells are going to rely on the charisma or a, a they're not called mental uh, abilities, yeah. but you know which one I mean. So the intelligence, wisdom yeah. and charisma, you might not put them into strength and dexterity because presumably you're going to be a bit further back. So absolutely, yeah. I completely agree. It does feel like you are, uh, shifting your stats certainly from this sort of quick build look to that but again with tashes you can pick two of any skill so you can always change that as well moving on to the uh sort of class features so obviously at level one you get otherworldly patron which will go through all six of them in a Ooh, second yes so that again it's very interesting because that is right at level one whereas 
other specifications for stuff. So for example, the paladins, I guess, they're level mm. three, right? And most things are at level three, you get your specialization. Certainly barbarians as well have yeah. that. So yeah. whereas otherworldly patron, you need to decide then and there, which makes sense, I guess, for the storytelling. Uh, pack magic, obviously. So again, that's the magic you get from your otherworldly patron. So that's pretty straightforward. But and I, I'm going to ask you about this because I, I really struggle to comprehend this. And I think other people do as well. Spell slots and warlocks. What is all that about, <laughs> David? Can you just can you explain to the uninitiated if that's all right? Well, as you know, and I'm amazed that we've made it this long without me bringing it up. Yes. I why my main character that I play every week with you is a paladin and a hexblade. So mm-hmm. I am used to this. Basically, my understanding of it, unlike everything else and i know uh, wizards now kind of have an ability where they can regenerate a set number of spell slots on short rests but with the exception of the warlock everyone gets their spell slots back on a long rest warlocks don't which is weird and i think that is more kind of like the mechanics bleeding into the role play they wanted to come across like you are not getting your magic from a natural way. Like, it's it's unnatural how you have it. It should feel like that. It needs to feel different because the warlock is different from the druids, from the wizards, from the sorcerers, from the bards who have, you know, studied or learned in one way or another. The warlock is being given their power. And I also think this factors in to spell slots as well in how limited the number of spell slots a warlock has is. You only get one level of spell slot. Yeah. You only get a set number, and they always come back on a short rest. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's... I can't remember how much it is you get at the end, but I think it's... Uh, it's not very high at all. I was just checking myself. Yeah. So the number of spell slots you get is four. Yeah, and it only goes up to fifth level. Fifth level. Which so is nothing for a caster. It is quite scary. And yeah, as you go down, you can see, like, you can learn up to 15 spells. And when this is at level 20 as well. But mm. yeah, if you've only got four spell slots at level five, and correct me if I'm wrong, because again, I don't really know how this works. So if you say you are at level 20 and you cast yes. a spell, does it always have to be at that max level? If you see yes. what I mean? Yeah, so, so your spell slots will start at level one, and then one day they will just go to level two and they will stay at level two regardless of what you want to do even if you want to cast the most basic of shield it has to use that spell slot so that's interesting so when you have something like charm person for example when that goes up a spell slot like you can charm obviously more people depending on how high it is so but if you only wanted to charm one person yeah it still has to be at that level so you're almost wasting having a spell like that in a way which is very interesting absolutely Mm. absolutely there is um there's one of the spells, Darkness, which I think is a great spell and can be used to really kind of screw over your DM and then subsequently your players, but that's we'll get onto that. But let's say you get that, and it is a great spell, but that's a third-level spell. It doesn't do anything different if you cast it at a higher level, except you burn through a spell slot unnecessarily. And if that's what you want to do, then that's what you've got to embrace. And to me, I think that is the core of the class, just showing that it's different. And the fact that you only get so few and they have to be one level, to me, is almost makes the Warlock feel like it's just a repository for its patron's power and it can't hold that much of it and it can't hold it for very long because it's not supposed to. It's not mm. done the work for it or anything. I mean, mm. you can argue that sorcerers don't do the work, but it's innate to them. Like, <laughs> a wizard has earned the right to have that many spell yeah. slots for all the work they've done. I really like the way spell slots work. 
for warlocks. It's it really, yeah, I think I can imagine it's it's very helpful out of, and I'm sure you'll correct me on this. I guess out of all the spell casting classes, it is the easiest one to remember because you only have so little. So it's easier. You're mm. not, like overwhelmed by choice because you're like, I only have these spells. What could I do? I mean, obviously, I know there's the role play. I'm gonna go. Oh well, I definitely would learn this spell because of this. But if you were like min maxing or anything like that, you'd be like, oh, these spells would be best because they have effects at higher levels. Moving on slightly from that, though, the other yeah. thing, there's several ways it gets around the, the lack of spell slots and the, the, the level as well. So obviously those are the main ones, but you have two other things, uh, one of which we'll come to a little bit later, but invocations, eldritch invocations, which you were sort of alluding to. Can you oh, describe, I love them. Well, describe what they are exactly? If you, if okay, you right. Here's my crazy big statement for the podcast. I think Eldritch Invocations are the thing that makes Warlocks the most customizable class in D&D. You could have a Warlock, and I can have a Warlock, and thanks to Invocations and our choice of different patrons, they will be so unrecognizably different from each other. You know, I could have someone that stays Mm -hmm. really, really far back, and with whatever Invocation is just constantly firing off Eldritch Blast after Eldritch Blast, and you know, is a glass cannon, can't take punishment at all, mm-hmm. but devastates with spells at range. Mm-hmm. Whereas, let's say you're, for whatever reason, your party doesn't have a melee fighter or a tank or whatever, you could play a hexblade warlock and put all your invocations towards the hexblade stuff. Uh, so, you know, that's going to give you two attacks, which is normally for martial classes. That can boost your weapon up to being a plus three weapon if you want. Mm-hmm. So we could have the same class, but then be totally different. Like if I have a bunch of players starting a campaign and two of them are talking about doing the same class, same subclass, Nine times out of 10, I would probably like say to both, like, are you sure? Because you're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff. You're going to be overlapping a lot. It might get a bit tedious. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have feel the need to have that conversation with two Warlock players because no. they can be that different. Yeah. So in the book, they're described as fragments of forbidden knowledge that imbue you with an abiding magical ability. It's like, oh, uh, I, I love how Wizards uh, describes them. But yeah, most of the time it is, I, it sort of boils down to a couple of things. So it, it usually uh, either adds damage to something. So usually your weapon attack or Eldritch Blast, you know, you get that sort of thing. You also get, or another kind of invocation you get is that you learn a spell which you can cast without its components or using a spell salt, which is also quite. Yeah. but i've picked out one uh, a couple that i that really stood out to me that have sort of come up uh i think this is from a most recent one from tasha's i think no i think actually it's from uh, van richten's actually uh cloak of flies so as a bonus action you surround yourself with a magical aura that looks i like love that flies one. yeah and yeah. extends five feet in every direction but not through total covered it lasts uh, until you dismiss it as a bonus action advantage on charisma slash intimidation checks but disadvantage on all other kind of charisma checks i mean that makes sense you're just like i have flies <laughs> like, like you are becoming probably the epitome of terror like you know someone in full armor with like a pal beard or whatever walking down a corridor with a cloak of flies around them you're gonna give that guy your lunch money but you're not gonna ask him to tea <laughs> exactly so yeah there's quite a i mean there's so many here like i said um what was the other one i wanted to do refer to if we're looking and talking at invocations you've got Often. to mention the one that everyone gets i'm trying to remember the name <laughs> that we're talking because 
yeah um it's oh, agonizing it's, blast oh agonizing blast so that's one way it's just adding more and more uh, well, that's, add your charisma modifier to the damage it deals on the hit yeah so, that's yeah. it so you've got however many beams that can fire off in however many directions you want which is another thing that's great as opposed to say like firebolt that's just it's a firebolt mm-hmm. it will do like 4d10 which is great whereas eldritch blast is it's four blasts like if one of them misses the other ones will hit like yeah and exactly. if you've got uh, a warlock and you've taken agonizing blast, instead of just doing a plain one d ten, it immediately shoots your damage, especially if you've got like twenty charisma from six to sixteen. Yeah. No, six to fifteen. Maths, David. But but even that, yeah. But that's uh, it's significant. Like anything getting into double figures, you're hitting on one hit. And if you've got several, yeah, um, beams of eldritch blasters. I found far scribe. So I don't know if you. Uh, if you've read this one so a new page appears in your book of shadows so this is uh from the uh, the pact of the tome which we'll go into mm. in a second with your permission a creature can use its action to write its name on that page which can contain a number of names equal to your proficiency bonus you can cast the sending spell targeting a creature whose name is on the page without using a spell slot without using material components to do so you must write the message on the page the target hears the message in their mind and if the target replies the message appears on the book rather than in your mind, and the writing disappears after one minute. As an action, you can magically erase a name on the page from t- by touching it. We have used sending quite a bit, and having... Constantly. Ob- constantly. And obviously, it uses a lot of spell slots. It's, it's a third-level spell. Mm. So having basically what I, what I think is death note, <laughs> writing yeah. people's names in it, it could always be, you know, if you're like, oh, we need to tell the mayor of the town, just write your name here, sir. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll get back to you. It's just that adds a little bit of creepiness to it. I love that idea of just having... Like again, making communication so much easier because it's in a book somewhere. Just... Also, if you think about it, I mean, obviously, the one of the big drawbacks of warlocks is the fact that you have so few spell slots. Mm-hmm. This is just intelligent ways of getting around that. Absolutely. Pact of the Tome is great, and if I wasn't playing a hexblade, I would absolutely have the tome. Well, let's talk about these pack boons then. So at third let's level, do it. You're, at third level, you have uh, your otherworldly patron bestows a gift upon you for your loyal service. So this is where it's basically the subclasses. So that when you're at level, third level, it is that subclass thing, but there's only four of them. So you have the Pact of the Blade, the Pact of the Chain, the Pact of the Tome, and then you have the Pact of the Talisman. The blade, most people will, again, through critical role, will realise that it's the one where you can bring a weapon out from nowhere. You are connected to the weapon, and that is your focus for your magical uh, spellcasting abilities. Exactly. The Pact of the Chain, I think, is a really interestingly named one, because there's no, well, I say there's no chains involved. I don't know how people find it. (laughs) But you can have familiar. So a bit like how you imagine rangers to have their animal companions, Mm. you can have a choice. And I think you can change it. Like your DM can probably change it as well. You could either have an imp, a pseudo dragon, a quasit, or a sprite. So again, certainly quasits are evil, (laughs) or they've been perceived to be evil. And imps and and sprites are dubious at best. And as obviously a pseudo dragon, it's a person with a dragon on your shoulder. You're like, I I just want a dragon, pseudo dragon, because it'd be cute. It would be cute. I agree. Like I'm just imagining 
baby smorg. Pretty much. And yeah, again, you, you can forgo one of your attacks to allow your familiar to make an attack with its reaction. Mm. Um, so again, you could you if you're one of those people who wants to use your 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 pet, or it's not your pet, your familiar, sorry, in battle, you can do that. And then you have the pact of the tome, which we've kind of alluded to, is that your patron gives you a grimoire called a book of shadows. Um, and you get more spell slots from it as well. That basically yeah. it is a bit like a wizard spell book, essentially, from that sort of thing. And I'll just quickly talk about the talisman. So this is the new one, isn't it? Yeah. So this one, uh, your patron gives you an amulet, a talisman that can aid the wearer when the need is great. When you fail an ability check, you can add a d4 to the roll, potentially turning it into a success. And you can use that number of times equal to your proficiency bonus for doing it on the rest. So you could essentially uh, bless yourself or guidance yourself yeah. uh, for each roll, essentially. So again, it doesn't increase, as far as I'm aware, with the levels, but an extra d4 when you need it. Uh, certainly in the big boss battles when you're you know you're doing saving throws and stuff is probably oh no it's an ability check not a saving throw interesting so it's your ability checks uh to do stuff so i guess yeah so you're not attacks or saving throws interesting but yeah so those are the main sort of the packs essentially that you can do there's sort of four subclasses but again as we sort of alluded to it, it mostly focuses this class focuses on the different patrons and that's where you get your different flavors yeah, and there's the big thing of combining your patron and your path. Like, for instance, if your patron is the Hexblade, which we'll go into, you're going to choose to be a path of the blade because mm -hmm. it just makes sense. Exactly. You know, you're, you're already going to be there. It's going to do the things that you're doing better. It's mm. great. To me, reading about those four, what it occurs to me is that essentially it's divided the Warlock into, and the way I see it, just from a surface reading, into the three sort of different positions in combat. Mm -hmm. The blade is you're in the face of things. You know, you're shoulder to shoulder with the fighters and the barbarians. That's where you belong. Mm -hmm. Path of the Tome is you're at the back with the wizard and sorcerer. You're flinging out the spells. You're doing the damage. You're going all Emperor Palpatine with Witch Bolt. <laughs> and then you've got the other two, Chains and Talisman. Now, they strike me as the more kind of variable ones agreed like you can be where you sort of want to be mm -hmm. you're not sort of limited whereas the other two are very much like okay if this is what you're going to pick mm -hmm. this is probably where you should be yeah your strongest point where you should yeah. be i completely agree with that yeah mm. so it does define pretty much where you know, your speciality is even more and then mm. just to quickly go on because I'm, I'm aware of time um the final sort of features you get are either the ability modifier improvements obviously standard for most classes or again if you were one of those people you could take a feat but here is something I find interesting. So again, we talked about these Eldritch invocations and obviously that helps out yeah. um, with the lack of spell slots. So you can add damage or add another spell without a spell slot to your repertoire. But then at levels 11, 13, 15 and 17, you get Mystic Arcanum, which is essentially you can choose a, a spell. It's a, they call it a magical secret called Arcanum which you just take a spell from the, the Warlock spell list, essentially. You get one at level six, sixth level, sorry, seventh level, eighth level, and of course, ninth level. So you have like a one-off ones that you can expend per long rest, which is incredible. So you could have, mm. you could be, you you can have certainly the high power things, but it's like a one use only per yeah. battle. So you, yeah, you could have a lot of fun with that, getting different uh, different ones for it. Absolutely. And that's uh, that's one thing which I, again, find really interesting and it is helping to kind of bridge the gap of where the Warlock is falling down. So yeah, having your spell slots that stop at level, at fifth level is not great. But if you think about it, you've got four spell slots that are going to come back on a short rest. 
And then you've got these long rest ones, just like everyone else. So if you've got these spells that really suit your character, they kind of warlock your building. Great, you're laughing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got your high-powered hits. And plus, do, I think if I'm remembering correctly, wizards and sorcerers don't really have more than one ninth-level spell slot anyway. So mm, because yeah. those are those are your reality-bending spells. Yeah, it talks about it that this is a dark secret that's been bestowed on you by your mm. warlock of of dubious nature. So they are. It's going to be fucking horrific whatever it is like when you get there yeah and this is something which you know if i was dming a warlock something which i would want to sort of work in is the idea of okay yeah you've leveled up and you've got this um mystic arcanum skill but i probably want to talk to them about the idea of you know don't take that yet mm -hmm. don't just let's ignore that for now but very soon what we're going to do is we're going to bring in the patron wants a favor they want something done, and yeah. the Mystic Arcanum is your reward. Mm, like probably make a storytelling moment, yeah. And I, I do think the Warlock does lend itself to a lot of these um, storytelling moments. Like my big controversial statement for Warlocks mm. is I very much hesitate with the idea of starting with a Warlock and starting with a Pact. I would mm. kind of like to see, and I get mechanically why this can't happen, but an ideal, just entirely fictional world of it's all about the role play and screw mm. the mechanics. Mm -hmm. I would love to see the patron not picked until like second level, like, mm -hmm. you know, wizards choose their school. Mm -hmm. Because I feel to kind of start with, oh, yeah, I'm totally in bed with the devil is. <laughs> it sets you up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's missing a lot of that amazing potential. Mm -hmm. But like, how do they get to that point? Mm -hmm. And which is why I went into Warlock with already having three levels in Paladin. Mm -hmm. And that worked great in that there was, you know, this great in-character reason why he would sort of like agree to take on this weapon and this task. Mm -hmm. And it just, it made a lot more sense. And it made playing the Warlock all the more enjoyable whenever the patron shows up and is like, hey, how are things? So I need a favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, because, you know, like in our campaign, just to bore the listeners with that for a little Talk bit. Talk about us more, David. No, please. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was, I think it was level three where your character had died. Yeah. And my character took on this sort of Hexblade pact as a favor. So he did it for this patron, and the patron was going to bring your character back to life as payment. But... Now my character's indebted, which then led to, you know, despite the fact how his sword would start messing with him and it would have all sorts of horrible physical side effects. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, you need to get rid of this. It's evil. The character deep down is thinking, I can't. Because if I go back on my words and mm -hmm. the patron just goes, fair, deals off, my friend just drops dead. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, that's the glory of Warlock for me, that you can have these brilliant character moments. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not convinced that Warlock should really be taken as your first level straight out of the gate, just because of that. Yeah, would it be better as a, you can only do it if you're going to multi-class person, mm -hmm. it's like what you did, um, that you're already starting off as a different class, but then if you were DMing it, you're like, oh, well, you can, you take a level in Warlock, but only, like you said, through a, a storytelling hook. 
Yeah, but of course, then what's the point in having a twentieth level warlock ability? Like, which I've literally oh, well, look at that segue, David. Amazing. So yeah, I was going to say at level twenty, this warlock is interesting. So you you draw on the inner reserve of magic, uh, mystical power, whilst entreating your patron to regain expended spell slots. You can spend up to one minute entreating your patron for aid to regain all of your expended spell slots from your packed magic feature. So those four level five things, get those back and you can regain this uh, on a feature. So that, yeah, it's a one minute compared to a short rest or a long rest. So you could just be like, we're about to go into the next room. We just had a battle. Give me one second. And then you you don't have to long rest it. You could just up your powers again and which keeps you going for a little bit longer as opposed to say you know if you start off the adventuring day you have one really tough fight you burn through all your spell slots and then you're just like cool well um i need a short rest like well we can't have one now yeah it helps with that yeah which is great for the warlock but just looking at it on paper as a level 20 ability never loved it no like it feels like level 20 abilities should be the be all and end all of Mm. you know you are the absolute pinnacle of what you can do rogues become so difficult to hit and so good at stuff that they're practically not even real anymore paladins i mean i don't know all of them off by heart but one of them is for the oath of vengeance you are literally an avenging angel you're on fire with burning wings and you're scary warlocks just yeah take a minute and you have your spell slots back it just feels so anticlimactic to me Mm. no i think that's fair that's fair Mm. So let's go diving in then to the patrons stuff. So yes. in the the basic rules or the, the player's handbook, you have three. So you've got the Archfey, the Fiend, and the Old One. So three very different um, <laughs> different areas, I think. So I love the idea that, although I say that, I just look down, I put Archery instead of Archfey. So that's good. Nice. <laughs> hey, go Patron me. Patron is a sentient bow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we've, we've not actually not really delved deep into uh, the Archfey on this podcast before, but we've done a bit about the Feywild. So this idea that these Fey creatures, that they're whimsical and they're in, mm-hmm. in, inscrutable, um, but they're very envious and jealous, and they are sort of sort of wildly passionate about things. So that and you've had it yourself, obviously in our campaign, you sort of alluded to where they just turn up and go, "I need you right now, come," and almost like yeah. a, a, a Meryl Streep from uh, from uh, The Devil Wears Prada, that sort of like. That's yeah. all, you know, that sort of uh, acting away from it. And you get a couple of things with that. You get fey presence. So it's like a, yeah, it's almost like an aura around you per se, where you creatures can be charmed or frightened by you, but so they have to succeed on a wisdom saving throw. Mm. Misty, Misty Escape. That one is you vanish into a puff of mist in response to harm. So you use your reaction to turn invisible and teleport 60 feet away into an occupied space. And you're invisible until the start of your next turn or until you attack or cast a spell. Which is pretty good. I mean, at sex yeah. level, just the, just the ability to just to disappear and then move, like teleport if, and, yeah. Oh, yeah, great if you're that um, you're that back-of-the-line uh, caster type mm. of warlock. Like, really useful for that. Beguiling defences, so you're immune to being charmed. And when another creature attempts to charm you, you can use your reaction to turn the charm back on them. <laughs> Brilliant. It, it's... <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's the Warlock equivalent of no you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uno. No! Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate Uno reverse card. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then you finally get something called Dark Delirium. So you can plunge a creature into a, an illusory realm. As an action, choose a creature you can see within 60 feet. It must make a wisdom saving throw against your Warlock save DC. 
It is charmed or frightened by you if it fails for one minute or until your concentration is broken. Uh, until the illusion ends, the creature thinks it is lost in a misty realm with the appearance of which you choose. The creature can only see and hear its, only itself, you and the illusion. So again, a proper like... Um, Oh, I can't think of what film it is now. When it's almost like Matrix style, where it's just you mm. and Morpheus in a, in a misty, <laughs> misty sort of realm. I, think, I guess it'd be quite. It'd be interesting because they, they then have, can only attack you or see you, perhaps. So you can, I guess, using that sort of misty escape, if it comes for you, like nope, and then just move away, but move to maybe when you can see your other party members and zip around the, the battleground. I guess. <laughs> also, if I'm uh, if I'm thinking of this correctly, um, mm. you can take them to an illusory realm. This realm can be whatever you want. They can be just like 30 feet away from you mm-hmm. and they can see that. But your illusionary realm is the two of you on completely separate pedestals. Mm-hmm. Oh, with yeah, like massive a, drops between yeah, you. Yeah, like a like a almost like a yeah, like a big cliff edge between you. Like yeah. A, um, yeah, like a trench essentially. That'd be oh, that'd be quite cool. Yeah. Like that's that's a great one because you'd have to be either really, really, really smart or downright suicidal to challenge that yeah because you know enough like teleportation banishment whatever magic exists in dnd for you to take that as fact as you see it and quickly looking at the archfey expanded spell list so you got stuff like like fairy fire sleep calm Mm. emotions plant growth greater invisibility seeming dominate person so again all these sort of things which are fey wild related like it's all about uh, manipulation but also nature in that sort of way which is pretty cool i love the fey but they freak me out (laughs) you know with devils and demons you know where you stand i'm going to be like i'm quoting that old future armor episode about the neutral planet you know where you stand with the devils and the demons (laughs) and celestials and all that a fey will either just like give you a bunch of stuff because it's bored and it wants to, or it'll kill you because it's not killed one in a while and it's forgotten yeah. what it's like. Yeah, it's, it, that's the thing where these things live for millennia and for you, you are just a pet to them. Yeah. And, you know, it's that sort of almost cruel, childish thing where they're like, I want to brush it backwards with a brush and see what the cat does and all that sort of, yeah. like, again, that sort of selfish cruelty that is unknowable, which is the scariest thing. I completely agree with you in that sense. Whereas, yeah. as you were saying, the fiend, when you have, uh, when you make a pact with a fiend from the lower planes of existence, so... We are you, nailing the segues this we time. Are, you, you are nailing the segues. I, I have nothing to do with it, but you've got, like, if you're thinking of, like, doing a pact with like the Demogorgon or Orcus or Baphomet or even Archdevils like Asmodeus, uh, Pit Fiends or Ugoloths. We know all about Ugoloths, you and I. Oh, so God, I'm done with Ugoloths. I'm <laughs> done with them. <laughs> so for this, uh, again, looking at the spell list, you've got Burning Hands. Of course, and most things about fire, but also like Command, mm. Fireball, Fire Shield. Blindness fire, and death. fire, fire, fire. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of hellfire. Let's be yeah. honest. Let's be honest. Looking at, at level one, you get Dark One's blessing. So when you reduce a hostile creature to zero hit points, you gain temporary hit points equal to your charisma modifier and your warlock spell. So again, that's pretty good. If you're pretty you're cool. Always good to have temporary hit points. And interesting enough, anything to do with fire, <laughs> I found in D D, it's always something to do with health. So you get temporary hit points or you regain health in some way if you've got a fire feed. So yeah. well, that was interesting. Um, Dark One's own luck. You can call on your patron to alter fate in your favor. When you make an ability check or a saving throw, you can use this feature to add a D10 to your roll. You can do this after seeing the initial roll, but before any of the roll's effects occur. You can use this once after a short or long rest. So it is like bardic inspiration in a way yeah. to yourself. 
and you can get it back on a short rest. And a D10, it doesn't scale at all, but a D10 at level six is pretty, yeah, pretty decent. I mean, it's going to mean sort of less and less as time goes on, but. Mm-hmm. Still, I can't think of a time where, I mean, in our campaign, we're level, what, 16 now? Mm-hmm. You give me a D10 to add to things, I'm happy with that. Yes, yeah, so to ability checks and saving throws, but not attack rolls, which obviously Bardic yeah. Inspiration can do. But yeah, like to a yeah. saving throw, always good to have a D10 for sure. Oh my God, especially if it's something like Banishment or um, yep. Petrification. Or, <laughs> oh. oh gosh. <laughs> uh, level 10, you get Fiendish Resilience. So you choose one damage type when you finish a short or long race and you gain resistance to that damage type until you choose a different one. The only sort of stipulation is that uh, damage from magical weapons or silvered weapons ignores this resistance. So obviously... Still, that's great. You, I mean, you could take, you know, resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, whatever damage, but yeah, necrotic damage, radiant just, damage, you know... Let's say, yep, yeah, fighting a bunch of vampires, now I'm resistant to necrotic damage. Yeah, and again, change it on a short or long rest. Really useful if you're like, oh, we're here now. Oh, give me, give me, <laughs> give me 10. <laughs> yeah. It is amazing. It's a great feature. Yeah, I really like that one. And then I think the most famous one I've heard of uh, in terms of sort of uh, features from uh, like patrons, Hurtle Through Hell. Oh, God. When you hit a creature with an attack, you use this feature to instantly transport the target through the lower planes. The creature disappears and hurtles through a nightmare landscape. At the end of your turn, it returns to the space it previously occupied. And uh, if it's not a fiend, it takes 10d10 psychic damage as it reels from its horrific experience. <laughs> yeah, just send someone to hell for a little bit. 10d10. And that's level 14 as well. Oh, it's when you attack a creature. So there's no save against it at all. Yeah, as long as you've hit, they're going on a trip. So if you, you could rush up to the big bad and, and hit them with something. And yeah, because it says with, with an attack, so it doesn't have to be a melee attack or a ranged. It can be any attack. That's even amazing. better, like you don't even have to risk a roll on it. Magic missile gone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, really good. Let's move on then uh, to the great old one. So this is the last one in the book. I don't like Cthulhu. No, I love this one. <laughs> it's interesting. So you obviously have like the archfane, sort of selfish but beautiful sort of thing. You have fiends, which are definitely evil, and then you have the old ones, which are just essentially so big, uh, like they. You just you they're utterly foreign to the whole yeah. fabric of reality they you they are unscrutable you, it's just incomprehensible and i just love this idea that again it, the line here is that they might be unaware of your existence or entirely indifferent to you and i just again i love that as an idea that they just don't know you exist and you're just siphoning off like a leech your power to them just well that's be- it oh. you go from being someone who's gone made a pact with you know belial or something to essentially a mosquito mm-hmm. that's it because it, it's if you compare just a mortal let's go back to john normal man if you compare him <laughs> to cthulhu yeah it's not even it's not even comparable it's ridiculous i mean sure we can sit here and you know discuss the uh, various gods and so on but you know things like asmodeus have stat blocks you could find them so you can go, my God, they're really strong. Cthulhu doesn't have a stat block. Of course he doesn't. Don't even know if we can call him a he. It's the great old one. I think that roleplay-wise would be very difficult to play mm-hmm. in terms of like, how would you even do that? Does your warlock just have really creepy dreams? Are they finding themselves starting to take on more and more features of these old beings? It's mm-hmm. weird. Their abilities 
big fan. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, I agree. Again, just looking at the spell <laughs> slots, you again, it's stuff like dissonant whispers, detect mm. thoughts, uh, sending clairvoyance. Everard's black tentacles. You get your tentacles. Because of course. Of course. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it's all stuff to do with the mind. And that's, yeah, again, as you sort of alluded to, this idea of you're opening yourself up to beyond, but is that a good thing because you lose your humanity? I love that. Mm. So yeah, level one, you get awakened mind, uh, which gives you the ability to, and I love this, to touch the minds of other creatures. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, so you can telepathically speak to any creature you see within 30 feet of you, but they can't talk back. As far as I was reading this, it's just you could just tell them stuff. Oh yeah, and I just love that they they can understand you if even if you don't share a common language. But the idea that you give them instructions. So again, very useful. But again, you can only do it to one person at a time, and they can't respond back, and it actually is terrifying as a result. Entropic ward. So you learn to magically ward yourself against an attack and turn an enemy's failed strike into good luck for the future. So when an attack roll is made against you, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on it, which is always good. If the attack misses you, your next attack roll against that creature has advantage. So I love that. Like Again, if you work that order out in the initiative and you get a low order and they're attacking you, you could easily get back up as well. And I just thought, yeah, I thought that's a really yeah, I mean, cool mechanic. Think about it. Big Bad hits you with a natural 20. You use that. They then miss and you get advantage on your next attack. It's great. Yeah. And again, that's a once per long or short rest. So again, really so short rest, yeah. short rest it. Amazing. Yeah. So you should be, it's one of those things where if you know you're going to short rest, use it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't piss about waiting. That's yeah. That's one thing which I learned with warlocks. Just, you know, you don't have to have the same level of consideration with how often you're going to throw out your spells. You've got less slots. Yes, but you are going to get them back quickly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You just, you just need more of a lie down than most. <laughs> <laughs> more smoke breaks. <laughs> uh, oh God. Yeah. I, I, now in my head, all warlocks have to have a smoke break. They have to have a fag break. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now imagining unionized warlocks. <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> tell them we want our smoking room back <laughs> it's my patreon mandated smoke break <laughs> <laughs> finally you've got stuff like thought shield so you at level 10 your thoughts can't be read by telepathy or any other means unless you allow it you also have resistance to psychic damage and when a creature deals psychic damage to you the creature takes that same amount of damage that you do so you halve it but then they also take that half essentially, which I think is amazing. And I d- I love it. again, that idea of somebody reading your thoughts and stuff, I, we haven't come across that ourselves. but again, it, it can be very important. If you are the clever one in quotation marks of the party mm. and you're the one giving the instructions, you do become a bit of a target. So it is quite interesting to be like, I shield my mind. I am Professor X of, uh, of this yeah. team. Oh, it's, you mean Magneto? Oh, you know what I meant. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the final one, the final one you get at level 14, which I think is my favourite class teacher, is Create Thrall. Uh, you gain the ability to infect, uh, love it, infect a humanoid's mind with the alien magic of your patron. Alien magic. Just yeah. those two words. It's all throughout the, the great old ones. It is alien magic, and that's what it refers to as. Not yep. super be a super deity or anything like this, alien magic. So yeah, you use your action to touch an incapacitated humanoid that creature is then charmed by you until a removed curse is cast on it. And you can communicate telepathically as long as you're on the same plane. So the fact is that you could knock somebody out and then you just touch them and then they are your friend and they, they can go off and do stuff and it's friendly to you. Yeah. At level 14 is so powerful. It could be the local guard, but it could be somebody a bit higher up if it's the, the hench person or the the the, the not the sub boss, but obviously the big bad evil, but then one of their one of their yeah, henchmen yeah. servants. 
Or if you're doing an evil campaign, town mayor. Town mayor. Oh, yeah. Knock them out. Do that. Have them healed and pop back up. Oh, scary. You now, you now run a town. Well, let's move on then. So we're going to quickly go to uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So here we have your favourite patron, which I'm going to let you talk all about. So Hexblade, tell us about Hexblade. Hexblade. I love Hexblade. <laughs> okay, so basically, a uh, quick summary of it, because I, I am aware of our time. Yeah, no worries. It's basically just... Instead of instead of Cthulhu, instead of Titania, instead of Asmodeus, you found a sentient weapon, and that is what's giving you your power. There's a bit of a common misconception with this one. So, you know, you can, like in the um, D&D Beyond, it specifically references the legendary weapon Black Razor. Mm. There's a bit of a misconception that being a Hexblade does not automatically give you a great weapon. It can in some cases. That's between you and your DM. Like, I know my character got a pretty great weapon at level four for Mm -hmm. having this. Uh, But at the same point, it's still your patron. It still has its demands and it still bears a cost. Mm -hmm. I really like this because especially if you combine it with Pact of the Blade, you've taken your Warlock from being your stereotypical caster to you are in the fray with the fighters, with the barbarians. And your kind of your spell list shows that. So instead of something like fairy fire, you now get shield. Mm-hmm. So if something's going to hit you with a big attack, shield goes up. You're absolutely fine. Also, you're going to get things like branding smite, uh, elemental weapon, staggering smite, banishing smite. I love banishing smite. It's like five d ten. If you get it on a crit, then that becomes ten d ten. It's great. And it's, well, it's just, it's a brilliant spell. It's a yeah. brilliant spell that I will, it's my panic button. I think all, yeah, all these spells, when you look at them, they're all fighting spells. They're all combat mm. spells. And so it you wants are, you to be in the middle. It needs you to be up front. Yeah, all the yeah. smites, essentially, you, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but like uh, like when you do radiant smite and all that stuff, you have to, it has to be a melee weapon. Mm. So you're, you're up there, you're doing stuff, and all these things, they are adding up to you being at the front, <clears> fighting <throat> the fight, yeah. essentially. Then you've got the features. Now, again, this is why I love Hexblade so much and why it makes Warlock so customizable. The first thing you get is the Hexblade Curse. Now, this is great. This is essentially, it's a first level ability. It's a bonus action. You choose one creature you can see within 30 feet, and for one minute, that thing is cursed. Curse only ends early if it dies, if you die or you're incapacitated. And the entire minute, you get these great bonuses. Mm. You get bonus to all your damage rolls to mm-hmm. the cursed target that equals your proficiency bonus. In our campaign, we're, our proficiency bonus is plus five. Uh, yes, it will. Yeah. it will be eventually. Yes, I think so, yeah. So if you take, like, for instance, you've got an Eldritch Blast with Agonizing Blast on it, and it's also cursed the target, before you've even rolled, if you're hitting it with like three, four blasts, that's straight away 30 to 40 damage before you even touched the dice, which Mm -hmm. is great. Amazing. Um, Any attack roll you make is a critical on a 19 and 20, which we're familiar with from a champion. Mm -hmm. What makes the champion great? And if the cursed target dies, you regain your hit points. So it's kind of like their soul is leaving them and sealing your wounds or just siphoning the metal yeah, yeah it's great yeah <laughs> but the thing that makes it 
a lot different. The thing that makes this different from all of the warlocks, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is the hex warrior feature. Mm. It sounds pretty basic, but it's so useful, and it's what makes it a really unique class. First level, so you acquire the training necessary to effectively arm yourself a battle. You've got proficiency with medium armor, shields, and martial weapons. And instead of strength or dexterity, your attack stat with weapons is now charisma. Excellent. Yes. Great. Mm-hmm. It's truly absolutely phenomenal. The only thing is that for that, you have to touch one weapon and really focus and pour your energy into it. Mm-hmm. As long as you've done that, you can use charisma. So you've got to actually take the time with it. It's not immediate. No. And when you're still at that low level, it has to be a one-handed weapon. You can do two-handed weapons later if you've got packed to the blade, but straight away, no yeah. dice. You're limited to the, the one, yeah. one-handed one, which makes sense. Again, you don't want a way to scale it up, I guess. It yeah, yeah. totally makes sense. Then it moves on to something. Uh, at sixth level, you get a Cursed Spectre. This is one I really like, and I've not a chance to use it yet in our campaign because it'd be a really dark thing for a paladin to do. Yes, I'm very aware. When I read this, I was like, I'm sure you can get this now. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I don't yeah. want you to use it. Yeah, it would be very, very dark, <laughs> yeah. especially for a lawful good paladin. But when you kill a humanoid, you can cause its spirit to rise from its corpse as a spectre. Spectres creep me out, man. They I mean, they're, they're not terrifying. great. Like, you know, 22 hit points... Life drain they have as well. Yeah, though, oh. there's there's a lot of good stuff with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's getting a bonus to their attacks equal to your charisma as well. So again, it's all about charisma just as much. So instead of healing with someone's soul, you essentially bend it into your service. Mm-hmm. That's a bit messed up. <laughs> and then, of yeah. course, we go on to Armor of Hexes. This is a great one one to really, really irritate your DM with. Uh, at 10th level, your hex score is more powerful. So if you've cursed someone with Hexblade's curse and they hit you with an attack roll, you roll a d6. Mm-hmm. Four or higher, the attack misses you regardless of its roll. If your DM natural 20s you, yeah. you roll a four on the dice, that's it. That's not happening. The fact that it's a reaction... And it yeah. does. You, it's not per proficiency, or you get it back on the lowest. You could do that every single time. Oh, yeah. And, oof, yeah, and as a level ten as well, mm. that is. I feel like that's so early on, and it's a cool feature, absolutely. But again, it's. I think the only thing I'd have the stipulation for that would be like you need to remember that because that's all. It's a very useful thing, but yeah, but yeah, you have to be like, oh, let me just. No, you don't. <laughs> like constantly after every single. Yeah. Uh, well, once per uh, turn of combat. But yeah, really interesting armor of hexes. That's it as well. And, you know, if you're fighting something with multiple attacks as well, it's it's not, oh, it's your reaction, isn't it? So you've got to use it well. Yeah. You know, you you've it's got to be like, you know, do I want to let that one slide? Do I not? Which can be a bit of a risk. But hey, it's when you combine something with shield, mm. you know, if you think about it, your hex blade is holding the line. Mm-hmm. Got the shield out, they've got the medium arm, they've got the half plate, probably because you know, obviously, if you use medium arm, you're gonna use half plate. Mm-hmm. And they've used the spell shield, so if an attack does get through, then it has to go through its whole other thing to still hit you. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, your D8 hit die character has now become tanky. Mm. It's great, it is great. I love it. And finally, we've got Master of Hexes, so 14th level. 
you can spread your Hexblade's curse from a slain creature to another creature. So instead of getting the health or taking its soul, you can just move it onto the next thing. Just mm. one by one, getting everything taken down, which instead of like, because up until this time, let's be honest, you're using Hexblade's curse on the big things. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're fighting six or seven small things, you can just be like, okay, you, now you, now you, as you're just knocking them down one by one. Yeah, over taking and over off again. all the things before going for the big thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that doesn't require like, for example, with Hunter's Mark, doesn't require like a bonus action to switch it after the creature's gone down. It just happens. Yeah, so as just long re- as you're alive. As long as you're alive, so you happens. just need to remember doing it. That's the only yeah. thing I'd say. But yeah, amazing thing. I'm going to quickly go through the Celestial, which is the other one in Xanathar's. So this one, again, um, we've talked so far about unknowable entities which have a shady past. Celestial... It's good. (laughs) It is a being of the upper plane. So it can be anything from solar. It could be, uh, again, it feels very paladin in the way it is. Uh, I love this line though. Your pact with that being allows you to experience the barest touch of holy light that illuminates the multiverse. It's good. Not too good. <laughs> like That's not a, take and that back. This which is really good and how you've kind of picked up on the writing there, because the next paragraph immediately begins with being connected to such a power, which again, the barest touch can cause changes in your behavior. You yes. find yourself driven to annihilate the undead, defeat fiends, protect the innocent. Mm-hmm. And you long to be in that celestial realm, which is not good. We just traveled through the celestial realm. And by the end, your character did not want to leave. No, I was, I was very happy. Where yeah, which, which is great. A barbarian being super happy in a lawful good realm. This is all right. Looking at the spell slot again, a lot of this is like cure wounds, uh, revivify, that's a guardian of faith, but also a little bit of fire, uh, you know, flaming sphere, wall of fire, flame strike, that sort of thing. So it's almost mm. like holy fire. At level one, you get healing light. So the ability, so this is interesting to channel celestial energy to heal wounds. You have a pool of D6s to spend on fueling this healing. Uh, and a bit like, I, in my head, it's a bit like lay on hands, but not. So yeah. essentially you, as a bonus action, you can heal one creature within 60 feet of you, spending dice from the pool. And you have a number of dice equal to one plus your warlock level. So at level one, obviously you get two uh, D6, but all the way up to level 20, you get 21 D6s if you're going straight all the way to the top. So you could just spend as much as you want. Uh, yeah. Also, the maximum as you spend at once is your charisma modifier. Yeah, so equal to your charisma modifier. So if you've got a really big charisma modifier, so like a plus eight or something like that, that's 86 you can spend at one time as a bonus action to heal someone that you can see within 60 feet. Amazing. Uh, you can only get that on a long rest though. So I think they're very aware that, oh, this could be broken on a short rest where you could just be like, spend all the magic and then come back, especially when that's at level one mm. as well. But that being said, if you've got all of them, mm-hmm. to get that much back on a long rest is amazing. Because it's not like uh, it's not like hit die where half of them come back, mm-hmm. or like certain charges on weapons where say only a few come back. It's all of them. Mm, so like absolutely. great, and now you can heal everything again. Everything, yeah, it's ah oh, amazing. You get radiant soul at level six. You have resistance to radiant damage, and when you cast a spell that is either radiant or fire damage, you add your charisma modifier to it, which again, really, really useful, really to have. Yeah, again, that whole idea that your it's your the damage modifier is the charisma, which again, if you've put that as your quick uh, build thing, that's yeah, it's the reason why it's there. But again, as we all know, Tash just changes everything, so you can be something else. Celestial resistance. Uh, you gain temporary hit points when you finish a short or long rest. 
and they're equal to your warlock level plus your charisma modifier. Equally, though, you can choose up to five creatures you see at the end of the rest, and they gain temporary hit points that's equal to half your warlock level, so you get half of it, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, again, very useful to have. Again, on a, a short on long rest, that's always useful to have if, you, if, you're, if you're, again, doing battle after battle, is that quick, take a quick rest, regain spell slots, but also a little bit of temporary hit points for everyone. And then finally, Searing Vengeance. When you have to make a death saving for at the start of your turn, you can instead spring back to your feet with a burst of radiant energy because you're like, I mean, ha ha! Yeah, just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I, I definitely saw, again, in joke between me and David, I definitely saw John Hawthorne doing this sort of <laughs> magic if oh, he was gosh. a warlock. Don't worry, yeah. he's not a warlock, so he's definitely not doing this. He's um, also not alive, thank not God. Not alive, yeah. Well, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, as a small in joke that no one will get, but never mind. Uh, you regain hit points that is equal to half your hit point maximum, and then you stand up if you choose to. Every creature of your choice within 30 feet of you takes radiant damage equal to 2d8 plus your charisma modifier and is blinded to the end of your current turn. Again, only on a long rest, but again, half your hit point maximum, and then you yeah. can like, I can get up, and then other people take damage and blinded. Pretty powerful. Really, yep. really like it. It's the ultimate second coming. <laughs> We'll briefly go through the, the last couple because, again, we have run out of time, unfortunately, because we were too busy chatting about how we do this. We do this all the time. But the final ones uh, we're going to sort of talk about. And interestingly enough, I think we've talked about them almost in comparison. So there's one called the Fathomless. I do see this as a great old one, but yeah. underwater. So this is definitely yeah. a more of a Cthulhu type thing. There's a lot of tentacles in this one. <laughs> so this point that you can, like, for example, tentacles of the deep, where you summon spectral tentacles to attack your foes. You have the gift of the sea, which you means you can swim and breathe underwater. It's always good to breathe underwater. Certainly at level one, that's pretty, pretty damn handy. Oceanic soul, you gain resistance to cold damage. Uh, when you're fully submerged, any other creature that's fully submerged can understand your speech. Uh, so you go, you can go be Aquaman in the water. Oh my god. <laughs> Grasping tentacles, so you learn uh, Everard's Black Tentacles, uh, which is always useful, and you gain some temporary hit points for that as well. And then finally, Fabulous Plunge, you magically open temporary conduits to water destinations. I do quite like this one. So again, it's level 14. You can teleport yourself and up to five other willing creatures you can see within 30 feet of you. Amidst a world of tentacles, you all vanish and reappear up to one mile away in a body of water that you have seen. So again, a bit like tree strike where you move from tree to tree. This time it is water. So I like the idea that you could, yeah. you're trying to get out of somewhere and you're like, you know there's a, a small uh, fishing port that you've just sailed out from. Oof, you know, it's a bit of a Hail Mary, I think, but I do quite Even like that. Even better. So. Tiny oh. pond and there's eight of you. Yeah, just like, <laughs> so, yeah everyone's yeah. just like really scrunched up. wet. <laughs> There's other two which I do think is quite similar, but they are different. There is the undead and the undying <laughs> you have. The undying is hmm. the new one from Van uh, Richten's uh, Guide to Ravenloft, and the undead, I believe, is from the Sword Coast. So the undead, for example, is a deathless being that defines the cycle of life and death, uh, whilst the undying death has no sway over your patron who has unlocked the secrets to everlasting life, although such things are coming across. They do very sound very similar, but they are slightly different in hmm. that respect. But the one we've not got a chance to really, really go through, and I'm I'm aghast that we're not, but I'm sure we will go through it at some point, is the genie. I a variation, a oh, lot of variation. There's so many ones in here. So these are they're sort of described as sort of noble genies. These are they mostly sort of elemental in some ways. And interesting enough, there's it's I don't know, it, I can't describe it. So you've got four types essentially. So you can roll on the table, the choose ones. That's where I'm gonna get these names wrong now, but you can go for a Dao, a Jin, an Ifrit, 
and a marid. And each of them are assigned with an element. So you've got earth, air, fire, and water. Uh, again, having that sort of elemental flavor to your warlock stuff as well. And you get certain spells based on that. Quite like this, a genie's vessel. I don't know if you read this, David. You have a tiny object which you use as <laughs> tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny object uh, that you use as a spellcasting focus, and you can decide what it is. It could be an oil lamp. It could be a ring with a compartment, which I, I quite liked as a little. Uh, yeah, just a oop, just gonna open whoop. my ring. <laughs> uh, a hollow statuette or ornate lantern, and you can do two things. You can uh, bottle respite as an action. You can magically disappear and enter your vessel, and later on you can get the other people into it, and you can take a. It's it's essentially a bit like Leaman's tiny hut. Essentially, yeah. you can have a, a rest in there and gain stuff back, and you can invite other people in as well, and also use it as something to store things in. So it's a bit like a bag of holding plus this spell, and I love it because it talks about it if you. Um, um, it looks uh, exactly like the area that you would expect to be inside it. So if it's a ring with a compartment with, like, say, a big gem, it will look like you're inside the crystal maze. I love the idea of this, the hollow statuette. It is like a woman with, like, a, a, a basket on her head, and it, you can see out of it, and it's just a very oddly shaped... Like, oh, God. <laughs> I'd be having Wicker Man, like, horror dreams in that. Like an ornate lantern as well. It'd be absolutely mm. beautiful. Like, almost papery walls and stuff would be very cool. I like that. And then the other thing you get from that is that once uh, during each of your turns, you can deal extra damage to your target equal to your proficiency bonus. And this damage is determined by your patron, which so again, the bludgeoning comes from the Dao. So again, that earth sort of elemental. So anything with the Dao, Dao uh, words. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any earth elementals, I think it's always going to be bludgeoning and sort of mm. not normal damage in quotation marks, but that sort of thing. It is more common, I guess, yeah. compared to say thunder, which is Jin, fire, which is Ifrit, and coal, which is Marid. So again, it's just to make sure if you were, if you were like wanted a particular type of warlock with that flavor of, of uh, damage type, that that's where you need to just double check who your uh, patron is from that final one on the genie. So I think this is important. So right at the end, you have limited wish. Uh, you entreat your patron to grant a small wish for you. As an action, you speak your desire to the genie's vessel, an effect of one spell that is six level or lower and has a casting time of one action. So that could be good. pretty good. And it says you can only use this feature. Uh, you, once you use this feature, you can't use it again for 1d4 long rests. That's the first time I've ever seen something that has number of rests for it, long rests. It's not just one. So there's so many level six spells, probably teleportation, all that sort of thing. Not compared to that ninth level spell we were, spells we were talking about, but enough to create stuff. So the idea that it has to be limited to 1d4 long rests is, I just think that's a, such a great thing. So yeah, I would highly recommend, obviously we've gone into, we were too busy talking about warlocks and we didn't go through all the warlocks, but I think the genie is a really interesting one from Tasha's. I think more people haven't noticed it yet. So I don't know if they're going to take it up on it yet. Like I said, it is a great class. It's a highly customizable class. Um, like, you know, you can find, you have two warriors together and despite their subclasses, they're going to be pretty similar. Mm. You can have two warlocks together and you would not know them to be the same class. No. Like, it's it's great. And I will forever extol its many virtues. David, thank you so much for this whistle-stop tour talking about all things warlock. Excuse me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. David, do you have something to plug 
that you I might want to talk do about. actually, because I never plug anything why aside you, from your stuff. Oh, well, why don't you, well, you could also plug my stuff, but I think it's more important you plug your stuff as we come to the end of the episode. Okay, so uh, the one thing which I want to mention is uh, the D&D show um, created by a very talented man called Matt Bateman, a good friend of ours. He has been working for a very long time uh, creating this show, Who Lives, Who Dice. It's just on Twitter as Who Lives, Who Dice. And we've started all the filming and stuff, uh, the kind of anticipatory uh, preparation, social media postings have begun. It's been so much fun. I've gone from playing a paladin with like 24 charisma to someone with six charisma. So I've got like whatever roleplay whiplash is and it's been so much fun. Uh, there's been, there's loads of great art that already exists for all the characters. There's some great settings some great scenery and some truly, really talented uh, players and role players. It's going to be great. And I'm so looking forward to seeing it released. So yeah, if you're looking for a D&D thing, check that out. Brilliant. Well, yes, again, currently no, it's TBC currently, but I'm looking yep. forward to when it finally comes out and knowing you, I'm going to be uh, listening on listening on the podcast version if that ever happens. But yes, no, congratulations, David. It sounds like an amazing thing. And yes, Matt, Thank you. Uh, we've known, uh, known through other projects and it will be, I can only imagine how cool that is to be in that. So, Oh, no it's great. Worries. Yeah. And just to finish off, my name is Fiona and I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very, very well. David knows us briefly, but I am now writing on and off a little bit for Dragon Plus magazine. Um, yeah, which is very exciting. I've got a couple of pieces coming out, um, which is also terrifying because uh, people are actually going to read them. But hey, that's all good. We also have an offer code for the uh, this podcast. Uh, it's basically if you go to Third Space Gaming, uh, which is your friendly local game store in Burnley, and type in the offer code DMBC. I had to do the action then just to remember what it was. Like, <laughs> DMBC. See, uh, typing and no one else can see that except David who laughed. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get 10% off your first purchase uh, on their website and it could be on anything. It could be on RPG books. It could be on terrain. It could be on board games. It's whatever you want. Um, and yeah, DMBC. I'll do the action. DMBC uh, for 10% off. David, thank you so much. I appreciate this so much and best of luck with the show. I can't wait to tune in. And for those people who are listening, thank you so much. And I, I think there might be another episode next on the list. So might, go, go listen to that when that's out. Cool. <laughs> okay. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>